Well, good morning. Good to see you. Thanks for being here today. I'm Rick, one of the ministers on staff, and uh, I, I love being here. I love our worship. I love watching God do stuff in the lives of people in the middle of worship and those who are unashamed to just say, God, I need more of you in my life. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. So I have a couple of prayer requests and, uh, and that people who are not here um, one is Wayne and Gladys Calhoun. You've heard me talk about them before. They typically sit right down here on the front row in this service. Wayne, if you're, if you're unaware, uh, is only one of only five people in uh, America that has his blood disorder. And, and, and he's got a difficult path ahead of him and that he's been dealing with for years now. He had a physician here in Pensacola who treated him. And it was out-of-the-box thinking. Most physicians are way too scared uh, to do what they were doing for him because uh, you don't want to have blood that's too thin or blood that would clot. And his clotting disease, he walks into a cold room and his blood clots. That's why you see him in blankets and coats and stuff all the time. Well, uh, when his physician left, he he has no care. He has no physician. And no other physician in here uh, really wants to handle that case because they don't feel equipped. So he'd either have to go to like a Mayo Clinic or Shands or something. So they went down to Shands. And, and anyway, they're having a difficult time. And we really need to pray for them. And we really need to also pray for his wife because she's just fighting for her husband. You know what it's like whenever you have a spouse or a child or somebody and you see their health is going down. And you're just going anywhere you can to find help. And you're finding a lot of answers that are, are, are not helping the situation. So you can understand. She's not at peace. And uh, so we need to be praying for Wayne and Gladys Calhoun. The second is Darius Singletary. Darius is a football player at West Florida University. He's also one of our drummers. You know Darius when he's drumming. And uh, he just lost his brother, his younger brother, 18 years old. He just passed away to an illness that's been plaguing him now for a long time. He got to be with his brother before he passed away. But I cannot imagine, you know, having to go and lay to rest my brother. And especially at a, at a younger age. And so we need to be praying for that entire family, for Darius, and, and uh, as he is there with their family. Now, the hurricane came through, and it, we, for the longest time, I thought it was going to be coming here. Right? I mean, just, and, and yet it turned at the last minute. And I, probably like a whole bunch of you, relied heavily on the weather report that it was going to eventually turn. Right? Which might not be a winning proposition in the future, but, but it did turn. And, and, and to our east, a, a lot of people have been devastated now. And just like we would have wanted them to come to our rescue, it would have been devastating if it had come here because we had almost resigned ourselves to the fact that it was going to turn and not a lot of preparations were made. And, uh, and so if, if it had come here, we would have wanted people to our east and west to help us. And so we are going to help uh, our neighbors, which is why we've already got one trailer. And there's a lot of things going on with people like, now it's too soon to come, you have to really know exactly who you're taking stuff to, you know, right now for it to really work well. We've been talking to Samaritan's Purse 
and uh, Red Cross and, and churches. We've called churches to try to find out how can we help, what can we do. And so we're going to be taking more goods like Taryn mentioned. So you can bring it, put it in the library. We'll be taking those on Thursday. Also tomorrow, uh, I, have, I got an email uh, this morning and, and about 30 or 40 different pastors in town were all getting together at Baptist Hospital. Thank you, Baptist Hospital. At 10 a.m. tomorrow morning to see what we can do in this community because we have a lot of displaced people here. And families from hospitals that were destroyed where people are in the hospital and their families are now here. Other situations where they lost everything and they've come here. And so if you are here today because you've been displaced, I really want to know about it. And so after services, in fact, right after our communion, I'm going to be standing at the double doors in the back. And so I want to know if you're here and I want to know what can we do to help you. And I'm going to figure out and I'll let you know as all these churches, as we all get together and figure out what can we do here to help people while we put together their lives and houses and all that stuff, you know, back at Panama City and Mexico City and all those places that were devastated. What I want to do right now is just partner up and pray. I would like for you to get to some, with somebody next to you. It may be your bench. You may turn around and find some people in front of you or behind you. But I just want to fill this room up with prayer. And I want you to be praying for those who've lost family members or loved ones in that hurricane. Those who've lost everything that, that God will bring them peace and their life will come back together quickly. For those who are working to restore power and water and all of that stuff that it can happen quickly and smoothly. And we can begin piecing back together all those things that were lost. Can we do that? Can we just partner up and, and just pray out loud? So here, you can go ahead and get started if you want. And then I'll end us with prayer. I'm only going to give you about three minutes. But just meet somebody next to you. Go ahead. Meet somebody next to you and just go ahead and start praying out loud. Let's just fill this room with prayer and I'll help us end.
Lord God, thank you for hearing our prayer. We know and believe that you are in this room with us right now and that you've been hearing the, the, the prayer and the cries of people ever since that hurricane touched land and started wreaking havoc on people's lives and properties. Lord God, you said my house will be called a house of prayer. I love the sound of prayer. You said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent, and pray, I will hear from heaven. I will come and heal their land. And we believe you. We know that you are already working and acting and involved. Lord God, use us in the process. We want to know how we can help and be a part of something that your hand is in. We know what it's like to have lives that are devastated, to lose things that are precious. Lord God, I pray that you will use us to partner with these people. Restore power, restore water, restore hearts and lives. Mend those hearts that are broken, the people who have lost family members, people who have lost everything. Lord God, we want to be family. Families stick together. And our family extends beyond these walls. Our family extends to all those within our reach that we can turn them toward heaven and be touched by your healing hand. Be with Wayne and Gladys. Be with Darius. And all of those among us today who need more of you inside all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, God bless you. That's good, isn't it? I just love hearing prayer all over the auditorium. Open up your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones. Turn the ringer off to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1 today. So we started this whole series last week. Jonah chapter 1. And as we're just going through, we just started setting the, you know, the table for this whole conversation, this whole discussion. And Jonah, the book, the whole book of Jonah is like a children's story, right? You go into bookstores and, and all it is is just Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the big fish. And so I'm thinking, wow, Jonah's just a story about a big fish. And, and here's Jonah, Jonah, go down to Nineveh. Ooh, and Jonah says, no, I won't go. And God sends a big fish. Yay, and Jonah obey God. And so I read that story, and I walk away, and I'm like, okay, that's a cute story. Don't know if I believe it or not. Which is really the, the, the first critical point. Because people who don't know if they can believe in God or not, typically will use this book, the book of Jonah, as a litmus test for whether they believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Some people have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that was a real fish that really swallowed a man, that he lived there for three days. Scientifically, maybe you can prove it, maybe you can't. I don't know, but come on. Do you really believe? Okay, so when you really begin to look at how the book of Jonah was written, it is written as satire. It really is written almost like a modern-day parable, like Jesus with the rich man and Lazarus. And he took a real, probably a real man, Lazarus, and dropped him into a story told a story so that everybody would recognize, oh, you're not just telling a story, you're talking about me. Yeah, because the book of Jonah is the only book of all the prophets where it's not the word of the Lord didn't come to Jonah and then Jonah went and gave his word, you know, among God's people. It's a story about Jonah. 
And it, it begins with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then from that point forward, we're reading about something, an event that happened in his life. And it is written over the top. It's like watching Saturday Night Live. If this keeps popping, then uh, tell me what other microphone to grab. I think it's going to keep popping. So, excuse me, guys. What other microphone, or or Trent, you may need to... Check, hold, check. Okay. Pardon the interruption. So, so now here's Jonah and, and this whole story. And it's written like watching Saturday Night Live where you see real characters without all the politics with real characters in these over-the-top situations. And so the, the person who wrote it meant for us as we were reading it to go, oh, come on, did that really happen? That didn't really happen until, we, until our eyes become open to the fact that, oh, you're really not talking about Jonah. You're talking about me. You set Jonah in a story to open my eyes to what I cannot see. And that's the truth of the book of Jonah. And so let's just read it together. And I put, you know, several points here we're going to start with. This invitation rejected. Now, I put the state of disengagement. And so... You know, we, have, you ever, uh, have you ever been riding down the road and um, maybe you, it's just a commute to work. Let's say it's a 20-minute commute. You're riding down the road and you just start daydreaming. And next thing you know, you've passed your exit. And, and you're like, what am I doing? And you just passed your exit and kept going. Anybody? Hasn't that ever happened to anybody before? Where you just, you're in a, in a, in a world of your own. And I've done that before. I've been riding down the interstate and missed my exit. Or like had to turn around or headed home and realized, oh, yes, I was supposed to stop and get milk or, or whatever. And, and it's just like I'm, I'm asleep at the wheel, which is a dangerous thought, right? So here we are operating a motor vehicle, and yet I, I can be completely daydreaming, not even thinking about the lights or the traffic. And I've just a whole hour or just riding down the road or back and forth. Maybe you've been at work. And, and you are working, and next thing you know, you're thinking about something, you're daydreaming, and 30 minutes later, you're like, oh, what, ha- what, what happened the whole, I don't even remember the last hour. Day, asleep at the wheel. This chapter is all about Jonah being asleep at the wheel. It's just, it's asleep, uh, not awake, oblivious to the mighty work of God going on all around us. That really is the theme of chapter 1. So let's go through it. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, by the way, let's see here, pop quiz. The name Jonah means what in Hebrew? Dove. Good job. Innocent dove. Here's So the word of the Lord came to innocent dove, son of, and what's the Hebrew word for Amittai? Faithful. The word of the Lord came to the innocent, the, the innocent dove Jonah, the faithful one, the son of the faithful one. And at that point, everybody's laughing because they know Jonah. Are you kidding me? Everybody knows Jonah. <laughs> He's neither innocent nor faithful. 
And so, like, people are like, are you kidding me? Are you, do you know the same Jonah that I know? Are we talking about the same guy here? And so it's like the word of the Lord came to the dove, the son of the faithful one, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God's like, I got, a, I got an invitation for you. I got something that I want you to do. I, 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 I've been thinking about Nineveh. And I really want to go do something just mighty and powerful in that town. And I want you to go with me. Are you in? Now, how many of you want to be a part of something that God has his hand in? Just let me see a show of hands. Okay. Me too. I mean, deep down, I want to say and I claim, man, I want to give my life to doing something with God. I want to know that that, I'm, that my life counts for something, that I'm doing something eternal. And so that's my plea. But in Jonah's case, in the story, so God's like calling that out. He's like, okay, well then, if, if you want to, here we go. We're going to go over to Nineveh, and we're going to preach against that wicked city. We're going to do something awesome. And what does Jonah do? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Okay. Okay. So maybe it's one thing to say that I really want to do something for God, but when it really comes down to it, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So not only does he not want to join God in doing something, he's like, I don't like those people at all. I don't want to head there. I don't even want to be around God. I just I would rather head in the opposite direction. And just so you have a map so that we can show. So he was right up above Joppa when God came to him. And God says, hey, we're going to go and we're going to go east to Nineveh, 550 miles from where he was. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go east. I'm going to go as far west as I can go. And in the known world at the time, Spain, over here where Tarsus is, that was considered the edge of the world, the last port before you fall off the face of the flat earth. You couldn't go any further away from God. I want to go so far away from God, not even he can find me. Have you ever known anybody like that? Where people just, mm mm-mm. For whatever reason, God disappointed them. He made them mad. He didn't come through. They were suffering. He didn't perform as they thought. And so they're like, fine. I don't ever want anything to do with God again. And their life just heads in the opposite direction. Number two, asleep at the wheel. Verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that, I love this little line, the ship threatened to break up. And so you can tell this is some of that satire that I was talking about. This is like a Disney character where, you know, all the pots and pans come alive. The plates are dancing and singing, you know. And that's like the ship is like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm giving up. I'm going to fall apart. If you continue trying to push me in that direction, I'm breaking apart. So the ship here in in the Hebrew, the ship ponders just falling apart. 
And so the ship says, I'm not going. You guys can go. I'm not going. And all the sailors were afraid to each other, and they began to cry out to his own God. So poly, you know, polytheism, huge in the day. So not everybody worshipped and served the living God, the Hebrew God, Yahweh, Jehovah, right? There were all these gods, and people were trying to get in contact with the gods because you never knew when you were going to make one of them mad. So they would pray to the sun god and the moon god and the stars and astrology, and they all had their own gods and land and plants and animals. Everything had its own god. And so all the sailors get together, and they're like, man, we got to do something because the ship just told us he's done, and he's not doing anything else anymore. So I tell you what, I'll pray to this God, you pray to that God, you, and they got this shotgun approach. We're going to pray to all the gods that we know and see if we can't get this storm to stop because what we're experiencing right now is not normal. And so here's this shotgun prayer. They're just praying to anybody and everybody they can think of. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They decided, we're, we're giving up everything. They took all their possessions. All these people who were getting on and going headed, you know, for this opposite direction, as far from the world as they could get. You know they had everything they owned with them. And they threw it into the water. They got rid of everything. They gave up everything just to save their life. So all this amazing, horrible, terrifying stuff is going on. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It's like, how in the world could he sleep through through all of that? But Jonah's like, I don't care. He's like, God's after me and I'm done. The ship is done, and now Jonah's done, and he pays his fare. He doesn't want to talk to anybody, don't want to see anybody, just heads down, goes to the bottom of the boat, and goes to sleep. Now, there's an interesting play right here where if, if, if we're reading it in Hebrew and we're following, you know, the story, he has now used this word down four, maybe five times, depending on the way that the Hebrew is written. And what we're meant to pause here and see is Jonah's life is headed down, 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 down. And so I think I have a, yeah, there you go. So Jonah's descent, verse 3, he's like, I know God, I'm not doing it. So he goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down to the ship, and then he goes down into the bottom of the ship, and then he goes down and falls into this deep sleep. And it's like watching a train wreck. It's like here's the one person and God's like calling him to do some amazing thing. I want to partner with you to do something amazing. But for whatever reason, he's not ready to do it. And he turns around and his life is a disaster. And it's little by little. Have you ever seen somebody's life layer by layer just continually get worse? And you're watching it happen. And it's like a slow-moving train wreck. And you can tell that their life is going to end in disaster. That's what we're meant to see. His life is going down, 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 down. And here in just a second, we're going to see that at the end, when they finally confront him, he doesn't care so much that he says, just throw me over and let me go to the bottom of the sea and just drink. 
And so all of a sudden, this is one of the first times in the story I begin to realize we're no longer talking about Jonah. I I know people right there, right now. I've been right there. I know what that feels like. I know what it looks like. And I, or I'm watching somebody and they're, for whatever reason, all they can see is their own misery. And they're just, run, they're so headstrong. And I don't know how it can get any worse. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? How can you How can you be asleep? All this amazing, unbelievable, terrifying stuff is going on. And you're just sleepwalking through it. How can you not be awake to everything that's going on? Without just intentionally. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish very interesting line. Get up and and call on your God. We've been calling on, we've been taking this shotgun approach. We've called on as many gods as we can and nothing is working. You call on your God. Maybe we missed one and maybe something will happen. As far as we know in the story, Jonah never offers up that prayer. And the captain says to him this line, Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In other words, hey, Jonah, you might not care that our life is headed toward destruction. But maybe your God does. Would you please cry out to him? Now, as a pastor, that line hits me as much as the line before. Because, you know, I say that I want to give my life to helping people whose lives are broken come to know God. But oftentimes, I think, just like Jonah, I can be so easily caught up in my own world that I don't really hear the cries of the hurting people around. And so it takes a broken life, someone who's really hurting, to beg, would you please cry out to God? Because if you don't care enough about me to help me, maybe your God will. Do you see what he's, I mean, do you see the irony of the story? The most innocent one who's supposed to be the faithful one of God is asleep at the wheel while people are crying out for God to save them. And he's just sleepwalking through life while people are hurting and begging for help. Jonah's in deep, number three, deep contradiction. Verse seven, then the sailors said to each other, so come and let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. This is some ancient dice rolling going on here and it's like hey we're gonna roll the dice and it worked and it fell on Jonah and so they asked him tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for us what kind of work do you do I love that what do you do for a living 
You know, let's just, let's just talk here for a minute. And, and where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? They're like, hey, we're searching for answers here. We're looking for anything that can help get us out of where we are. We need our life to be transformed. We need help. And is there anything that you have to offer? Who are you? And so Jonah begins to answer. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Uh, some of you in your Bible translations, I'm reading out of the NIV. Is there another word here used for worship? And I fear the Lord. Very good. Fear the Lord. This Hebrew word, worship or fear, says this is the way it's written in Hebrew. I am a Hebrew, And I habitually stand in the awe and presence of the Lord Almighty. Who made heaven and sea controls it all. Wow. I mean, when I read it, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but I don't see your life acting like it at all. (laughs) And then I begin to realize, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not talking about Jonah. You're talking about me. I'm, I'm, I can say I'm a Christian and I follow. But people are like, well, don't let me hear the words that come out of your mouth. Just let me observe you for a week. And I'll tell you if you really habitually stand in front of the awe and presence of the almighty God. So Jonah's like, yeah, I, I'm a servant of God. I habitually stand, I stand in awe of him all the days of my life. And they're like, well, why are you asleep? Why do you not care? Do you not see what's going on? And this terrified them and they ask, what have you done? What's the real story that's going on in your life? And I love this in parentheses. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So they sat down and they said, ask all those questions. And he said, well, I'm a Hebrew and I follow God's people. And he's from Israel and we came over here and, and he built and we took over. And God, and next thing, and we, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I'm a faithful follower of him. Okay, I'm not a faithful follower of him, but I'm an innocent. Okay, I'm not innocent. Okay, I habitually stand in his presence. Okay, I never stand in his presence. In fact, I'm asleep in his presence. And they're like, what are you doing with your life? And he said, I'm throwing it away. The work of the Lord, number four on your outline the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? <laughs> That's just like us, isn't it? What do I need to do to you so that my life can be better? <laughs> what, what should we do? What should we do to you now that you're running away, now that God found you, now that he's caught up with you, now that you're suffering for your poor decisions? What needs to happen next? Because I don't want my life to go down with you. And so Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I know that I'm causing pain in your life. I'm sorry. I know my actions have hurt you. I know my words have wounded you. I know that you're suffering. I know you threw your life overboard. You've already thrown everything away to try to save you and me. And you've lost everything. And I'm sorry. Now, scholars debate as to exactly what's going on in his heart because you can look at it one of two ways. One, the way that I just described, that maybe Jonah really is repenting. I am so sorry for the pain that I've caused you. And, and, and I hate it. And so you need to just get rid of me and, and, and let me suffer. But, but I'm sorry. So it's a real repentance. Most scholars believe that it's not really repentance that he's doing here, that he's just taking his next down step. He's already gone down, 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 down. And now he's just saying, just throw me over and let me end my life. I'm sorry I got you in the middle of it. Most scholars believe that he's just trying to take the final down step away from God and life. That's consistent because he does that again in chapter 4. Either way, the men didn't want to do it. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. It's almost like, isn't there any alternative? Can't we just work harder? Can't we just get our own plan? Can't we just put more energy to it? We can work, 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 work out our own salvation. And God's like, no, because it's not about you. You know, you're not the one in control And by the way, I'm trying to do something greater than that. How am I going to open the sailor's eyes to who I really am if you can just earn it on your own? You're going to say, hey, we did it. (laughs) Let's get a beer. That's not what's going on here. You can't do it. Then they cried out to the Lord. Pause. Who were they crying out to earlier? Who were they praying to earlier in the story? All their own gods. I'm we're crying out to this shotgun approach. All these gods everywhere, and it's getting them nowhere. Who are they crying out to right now? Jonah's God. Your God. Their eyes have become open to there's a different God, a new God, a better God, the God, the only God. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. God, we, we don't want to do this. We don't want to hurt him, especially if he's innocent. And we know that you are in charge. And we don't want to do the wrong thing. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Now, Real or not real? Satire or actually happened? You know, that's amazing. Same thing with Jesus and the apostles, right? When they were, the waves were breaking over the ship and Jesus said, peace and be still. And the wind and the waves really do obey the Lord. It's amazing. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. This word feared is the same word that you had for I worship or I fear the Lord way back up earlier in the book where at this the men determined 
I want to habitually stand in awe of the presence of the Almighty God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, in English, it reads very different than it does in Hebrew. In Hebrew, when it says, and and they made sacrifices, it's very different because they're on a wooden ship. And if you're going to offer up a lamb or a goat or a bull as a big sacrifice, that's a pretty big fire on a wooden boat. And so the implication of what they're saying is, is after the sea grew calm, they made a determination for the rest of our lives, we will habitually stand in the presence of God. And they went back to shore. They found those who worshiped Jehovah, Yahweh. They went to a priest and they offered a sacrifice and made vows to him. They became believers of God. This is what's amazing. God is doing all this amazing work. Working to save everybody all around Jonah's life. And he's not participating in any of it. Because he's so caught up in himself. He can't see what God is doing. He's asleep at the wheel. God is acting all around him doing such amazing things in people's lives all around him, and he can't even see it because he's just getting up and going to work and going home, getting up and going to work and going home. He's not even looking at the amazing work of God. It is easy, by the way, this is rhetorical, for us to say, yeah, I want to be a part of something amazing that God's doing, and God's already doing amazing work all around us. And at some point, we have to stop and wake up and ask ourselves, am I a part of it, yes or no? Have I been a part of God saving anybody's life, yes or no? Have I witnessed the transformation of someone whose life was going in a downhill direction and watch them turn around and sell out everything to follow God? And if not, The writer of the story is just asking you, are you okay with that? Are you asleep at the wheel while God's doing amazing things? And are you sure you want to miss it all? The salvation of God, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I know you know the end of the story. But if that's where this book ended, would that have been a happy story, yes or no? Would you have said, hey, Jonah, that's an amazing prophet of God. He missed everything God was doing. Ran in the opposite direction. Gave up his life and died in the belly of a whale. That's a great story. It's just not a happy story. It's not a happy ending. Even at the end of the book, it's not a happy ending because even after God rescued Jonah, as we're going to see, he still doesn't want God to work in the lives of people who need God the most. I don't know what it is about Jonah that hates people so much that he does not want to work at all to see them be saved. 
So here's my question. What does Jonah do to wake up spiritually in the story? What did Jonah do to wake up spiritually? You're right. Nothing. He didn't do anything to wake up spiritually. God did it for him. Jonah, as we're going to begin to see in the next chapter, has the amazing grace of God to happen to him. You don't do anything to earn your salvation. You don't work your way back to land and safety. You don't have enough energy. There's not a good enough plan to rescue a life heading in the wrong direction. But God is running after you with his whole heart. And if you'll let him, he'll catch you. He'll catch you. And he'll provide a way out. And you'll find yourself sitting in places you never would have wanted to sit in. And in the middle of your brokenness, you will find the amazing grace of God. Anybody? Anybody? That's a good story. And it's not about Jonah. It's about me. Are you asleep at the wheel? Is God doing amazing things all around you? But he's just not yet been able to use you in the process. Don't you want to wake up? Don't you want to be a part of something that God has his hand in? Has your life been going in the wrong direction? Maybe it's not just like it's going in a bad direction. Maybe I'm just asleep at the wheel. I'm just sleepwalking through life. And it's time to wake up. The amazing grace of God is on you right now. He's doing everything he can to rescue you and to use you to rescue all those hurting lives around you. I want to pray with you. And I want to pray for God's grace to happen to you. Can we we just pray? Can we just pray right now? Lord God, in this amazing story, you are at work. From the very beginning, you were at work. You already knew what you wanted to do. And you wanted to go over to Nineveh and rescue all of those people. But when Jonah had a different plan, he got to meet a few other people who didn't know you. And you did everything you could to save them too. You are constantly in the work of saving people people's lives rescuing them out of filth rescuing them out of the depth of despair rescuing them out of the the hand of the evil one and you're inviting us to join you oh lord what will it take before we finally say yes lord i realize it's my life that needs rescue I need more of you. I'm asleep at the wheel. I'm sleepwalking through life. And I don't want to anymore. I want to be a part of an amazing work that you have your hand in. 
Open our eyes, God, to see as you see so that we can do as you do. Help us to rescue that which is lost and start with me. Thank you for your amazing grace offered to us all in our time of need. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So we have these response cards that are in the Purex in front of you. This is what I really want to know. If you're asleep at the wheel and you're like, man, I don't want to do that anymore. If you'll just take one of those cards and just write on the card, I want to be a part of something amazing that God is doing. Or if it's a, it's a, it's a cry of repentance, I'm sorry for the direction I've been going. I want to turn around and I want to, and I want to beg God's forgiveness. Would you pray for me and, and, and ask God to really transform me in, in Jesus' name? Anything, or if it's just a prayer request, if you'll, if you'll print those out or write those out, we have these orange boxes in the back. We really love hearing all those stories and we want to partner with you any way we can. Right now, we're going to go into our time of communion. And so if you're going to be sharing and passing out the communion, if you'll go ahead and go to the back as we begin to serve. And thank you for that. Now, what we're going to do is, if you've never seen this before, is we're going to pass around two simple trays, unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. It's in the shape of a cracker and a little cup of juice. And really, it's very simple in the emblems, but it's very important in what we're saying yes to. All we're saying yes is that God... I want more of you inside all of me because the bread and the, and the cup represent the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that he shed for us so that we could have life. And you're just saying, Lord God, I want you inside me and then use me to go and do something in the life of someone else. So as we go to the, as we go to the bread and the cup, let's just examine ourselves. Yes, God, I no longer want to run in the opposite direction. And yes, use me for the sake of the kingdom. Lord God, as we take the bread and the cup, we give ourselves to you. We self-examine to see if we really wanting to be a part of you or if we're just asleep at the wheel. Thank you for Jesus and his amazing grace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.